So I want to start this morning with, a, with an old proverb, and I don't mean a proverb from the Bible, just a saying that dig your well before you're thirsty. If you haven't heard that before, um, what it obviously means is prepare ahead of time for what you know you will need. You can't wait till you're thirsty to start digging for water. You need to know where water is and have accessed it before you need it. So we're going to come back around to that later. Um, we're going to look at a bunch of Bible in between now and then. But I want to compare the lives of Peter and Judas. This, what the Bible tells us about who they were and what they did and what they experienced. And, and we'll get back around to dig your well before you're thirsty. But Peter and Judas are two of the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Both of them gave up their entire life to go and follow Jesus. They left their home and their business or whatever income they had to go and follow Rabbi Jesus, walk around Israel. And as they followed him, Judas and Peter heard Jesus teach all the, the same sermons. And Judas and Peter saw all the same miracles that Jesus did. And then when Jesus sent out the 12, and then again when he sent out the 70, Judas and Peter are in that. So that means that Judas and Peter both healed the sick and cast out demons. But Judas is a super Christian by our standards. Hello? And both of them had Jesus wash their feet on the night of the Last Supper. And by that, I, I mean to point out that both of Judas and Peter were intimately aware of Jesus' personal love for them. Neither one had any excuse for what they did in the next few hours after Jesus washed their feet. Both of them are intimately aware of Jesus' love. Judas and Peter lived essentially for three and a half years before Jesus was crucified. Judas and Peter lived essentially the same life on the outside. They were where Jesus was. They heard him preach. They saw his miracles. They performed miracles in his name. And then both of them got entered into by Satan. Both of them got possessed by the devil. Let's start in the scriptures. Matthew 16, this is a few weeks before the crucifixion. At that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and said, Far be it from you, Lord, that will not happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. A little bit of a rabbit trail here. Not my main point, but a point I want to make. Jesus identifies Peter speaking this, what Peter probably thinks is encouragement. Jesus, no, you're not going to get killed. It's going to be okay. God's going to work it all out. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus says Satan is speaking through Peter's tongue right there. Uh, I just want to point out how not Ozzy Osbourne that is. How not poltergeist. Satan is, or any of the other movies you've seen. Like Satan just slips in there as Peter thinks he's friending Jesus. 
But his encouragement is not friending him. His encouragement is fleshly. And Jesus says it's satanic because you're trying to trip me up from what the Lord has told me I have to do. So Satan takes over Peter's tongue. And this, it's amazing. This happens immediately after, in the paragraph after, Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter speaks up and says, I, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon and Peter, for man has not identified this to you, but God has shown this to you. And the very next paragraph is Jesus calling him Satan. Jesus is not a very good pastor. Every pastor knows you don't insult people when they come to talk to you. And you certainly don't call them Satan. You don't hurt their feelings. Peter is shockingly humble to stick around after this. Because I guarantee you, if I called one of you Satan, that would be the end of you attending this church. Jesus didn't know that, I guess. Didn't have all the modern pastor textbooks. So Satan came into Peter a few weeks before the crucifixion. On the night of the Last Supper, Satan possesses Judas. So we're going, we're going to John 13. This is the night of the Last Supper, the night before Jesus is crucified. Jesus had said these things. He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. And now there was leaning on Jesus' chest one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore mentioned to him, motioned to him, to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus, he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's him to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, meaning in the wine, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Satan comes into Judas as he's taking communion. As he's, taking, as he's eating the Lord's Supper, he gets possessed by Satan because his heart is so dark. So again, to recap, my point here is that Peter and Judas, they, they both gave up everything to follow Jesus. They've heard all of Jesus' teachings. They've seen all his miracles. They've participated in those miracles. They're two of the exclusive club of the twelve. And they both get possessed by Satan different ways and different reasons, but I think both of them genuinely think that they are doing the right thing when they do what they do. When Peter is trying to encourage Jesus, oh no, you're not going to get crucified. It's going to be okay. It's all going to work out. God will save you like he does every time. I think Peter is friending Jesus, like just encouraging him. And I, I am totally convinced that Judas thought he was doing the right thing. Um, not just because of what happens later in the story, which we'll get to in a minute, but because all of the evil people in the world think they're doing the right thing. Those that are trying to build utopian societies and they end up building dystopias, and those that think they're going to destroy society and burn it all down, they're genuine believers. They really think they're doing right. There are very few people who are evil and know it. Maybe the mafia bosses or the Mexican cartel drug lords. I mean, maybe they understand. Yeah, I'm an evil dude and I don't care. I'm just getting rich. Very few of the truly wicked people in the world admit to themselves that they're, they're wicked. They really believe they're doing good. 
I mean, ask Hitler or Stalin or Mao or Paul Pot or Jim Jones or anybody. I'm totally convinced Judas thought he was doing something good because I don't think he meant for Jesus to die. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but I think they both genuinely think they're doing right. And in that, they both get possessed by Satan. There's like five sermons right there. You can meditate that on your own. And then both Peter and Judas betray Jesus. Both of them sell him out. Matthew 26, one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And so from that time on, he sought an opportunity to betray him. That's about a week or two ahead of the crucifixion. And then the night before Jesus is crucified, a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders and Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? It's a very famous episode where Judas pulls the ultimate betrayal in the history of the world. But Peter did too. Next passage, Mark 14. Jesus said to them, this is uh, earlier at the Last Supper when they're eating the Passover together. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. And Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise, all of them said, no, Jesus, we will not leave you. We will not deny you. We will not betray you. But Jesus knew that it was going to happen. I think Peter is completely sincere. He is totally sincere. No, Jesus, I will die for you. I will never quit. I will not give up on you. I'll not be afraid. But we all know what happened like two hours after he said this. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But they denied it before them saying, I do not know what you're saying. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were with him there. This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, but again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you, meaning his accent. The Galileans, compared to the people of Jerusalem, the Galileans were country hicks, and he had a country boy accent. And he says, Your, your accent betrays you. You're from Galilee with Jesus. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus in their own fashion. And then both of them admitted their sin. Both of them were genuinely heartbroken, genuinely sorry. Matthew 27, after Judas sees that Jesus is on his way to be crucified, Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he'd been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then they threw down, he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So we got here, Judas is remorseful. He gives back the money that he was paid. 
He admits what he did was sin. He's not just saying, I'm sorry. He's confessing it as sin. He says Jesus is innocent. That's, that's real remorse. That's real sorrow. Acts 1 says that he fell and his, and his body split open and his intestines blew out. There's some people that want to debate whether Peter, um, so whether, whether Judas hanged himself or whether he fell and died, but I think the answer is really easy, that he hanged himself and then he hanged there until he rotted on the rope. Nobody came and buried him, which is also biblical. I don't think Jesus, Judas intended for Jesus to die. He had seen Jesus get out of the Pharisees' traps so many times. I genuinely think two things. I think Judas was offended with Jesus because of the day when Mary had anointed his feet with her perfume and washed his feet with her tears and wiped her hair. That happened in Judas's dad's house. And Jesus had insulted his father. I think that's maybe a clue as to what Judas was thinking. And another thing I think is that Judas was upset with Jesus because on, on the previous Sunday at the triumphal entry, when there's thousands of people there waving their branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Jesus hadn't let them crown him king. And I, I think Jesus, Judas thought he was helping Jesus. Like, well, obviously he doesn't have the skills to get himself crowned king, so I'm going to help him. I'm going to, I'm going to, Make, I'm going to push his hand and I'm going to make this happen and God will do a miracle and, and he'll pull a fast one and he'll get out of it like he always did, but he'll end up being king. I, I don't know where the Bible doesn't tell us why Judas did what he did. Primarily, I'm sure on purpose, because the story of Judas has to fit in every culture and every time period. Um, but I, I truly don't think Judas intended for Jesus to die. And he's genuinely sorry. And Peter, we know, is genuinely sorry. Luke 22, immediately when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Jesus has his hands tied behind his back. He's already got the crown of thorns on. He's been beaten in the face so much that his eyes are swollen, mostly shut. And he turns and looks at Peter. After Peter said, I'll be damned if I've ever even met that guy. Two or three hours after he said, I will die if I have to. I will never leave you. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. I bet that's a look he never forgot. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. So now this is maybe between 1 and 4 o'clock in the morning. On Friday, the morning before dawn of the day he's going to be crucified. And here's, here's the situation now. At 10, 11, midnight, Judas betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Pharisees and he's been on trial around a campfire in the courtyard of the priest's house all night. He's going Once the sun rises, he's going to be taken to Herod and Pilate. Eventually, he's going to be put on the cross. 
but now we're, we're in the wee hours of dark 30 of the morning on Friday. Jesus is bound. All of his disciples who at supper last night, all of them vehemently swore, we will never leave you. Everybody's run. John was so scared he ran off naked. They grabbed him by his clothes and he just wriggled out of his clothes and ran off. Peter has denied him. Peter has gone off and is somewhere uh, by himself weeping bitterly. Judas has gone back to the priest in brokenhearted panic and distress. He's thrown the money back at them and he's off on his way to wherever he's going to hang himself. Peter and Judas are completely alone. And both of them weeping with regret that probably neither, none of us will ever know. We may have wept in some great regret and some terrible distress, but I don't know that we could match what Peter and Judas did and what they were feeling in those moments, those hours in the dark before sunrise. Peter and Judas are completely alone in their brokenhearted and panicked distress. And they have absolutely no expectation other than Jesus is going to die in a couple hours. And I'm, I'll never, ever be able to make this up. I can't fix this. Right here at 3 a.m. when you're all alone, there's no one else. No one can know what you're feeling and no one can help you. Right there is, have you dug your well before you're thirsty? Because that is the difference between Judas and Peter. Because Judas didn't have a well to drink from at 3 a.m. when you've just betrayed the Son of God. Peter had something at 3 a.m., in the dark, all alone. He had something to drink from that saved his life. Judas goes off and kills himself. But what did Peter do? I know most of you know the story, but let's, let's read it. Mark 16, on Sunday morning, Easter morning, Jesus is risen from the tomb, but they don't know it yet. There's ladies that go on Sunday morning to put oil and spices on the dead body and they enter the tomb and they see a young man clothed in a long white robe, it's an angel, sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, don't be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. The angel has specific direction from Jesus. Make sure Peter hears this. For 60 hours, Peter has been in the greatest distress we can imagine. But the angel, the message of the angel is make sure Peter hears this, that he's alive. And he's going to meet you in Galilee and there you will see him as he said to you. Next passage is Luke 24. They, meaning the women, they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. There it is. To the eleven. Judas went off by himself in his distress and ended up hanging himself. Where did Peter go? He went back to the church. 
You can't be 11 unless Peter's with them. There were 12, Judas is dead. So if there's 11, Peter is with them. I mean, if anybody had reason to be ashamed never to show his face in church again, never, it's Peter. But he went back. Come on. Why did he do that? Why did he go back in front of his brothers, his spiritual brothers, not his natural brothers? Why did he go back in front of the other disciples when he had messed up bigger than any of them? Why did he go back and Judas didn't? Because Judas was used to living in the dark. Remember, he used to steal from Jesus' purse. Lo, he's used to living in the dark. He hides his sin. He doesn't let anybody else know him. Peter is an enormous snowball of screw-ups. But they're all in the light. It's all in public. It's all in front of everybody. And Jesus can correct it and teach him and lead him. And and he even gets to be the object lesson for the rest of the disciples and all of us for 2,000 years. Peter is such a snowball of screw-ups that all of us look at Peter like, thank you, Jesus. You love Peter. You can love me. Because he lived in the light. So he went, when he, when he finds himself in utter darkness that night, Jesus was being on trial. He goes back to the light. This is where I found Jesus. Nobody here can do anything for me. They can't do anything to me. They can't save me, but, but I'm here. He had a well that he had dug before he was thirsty. There was a connection to Jesus and to the church that he had made that Judas had not made. And then when tragedy strikes and I desperately need a drink or I'm going to die, Judas doesn't have a drink and he dies. But Peter has a drink and it saves his life. When Jesus told Peter, you're going to betray me three times tonight. Peter says, no way, Jesus, no way. I'll never do that. Okay, one of the, all four of the Gospels tell that story. One of the Gospels includes Jesus saying to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you return, Jesus is already prophesying the end from the beginning. When you return, you will feed my sheep and you will, take, you will strengthen your brothers. Hard times are coming, folks. I don't need to be a prophet to say that. Every nation, every society, every person, every family, every relationship gets tested. All of us are going to go through some sort of situation or season where Satan and God get to have their way with us and reduce us to absolutely nothing. And the older folks are nodding because you've been there. Yep, I can look back on that season. I remember exactly what it was and what it felt like. And yes, it was the destruction of Satan, but it was also God. Reduce, burning, burning down everything I was, everything I thought I was, everything I thought I knew and how I functioned. And, and, and I just got reduced to nothing. If in those times you don't know if you don't have a well to drink from, you'll end up like Judas. 
do you know Jesus yourself? Or are you relying on tradition or your childhood church attendance or grandma's faith? Do you know how to worship yourself without somebody else around? Do you know how to pray? Do you know Jesus yourself? Do you, are you intentionally digging your well? Because there's going to come a time when you are desperate for water. Or I'm going to die. And no one else can bail you out. None of us can save anyone else and none of us can be saved by anyone else. You have to know Jesus yourself. In the darkest nights of your life, do you know where to go? Is it real to you? Or is it just a wish or a routine or something that's, yeah, it's true and I believe it, but or are you digging your well every day? You can't wait till you're in those moments and then all of a sudden, I don't know where to find Jesus because I don't ever spend time with him. I don't know him myself. I don't know my Bible. I don't know, I, I don't ever pray other than lobbing a few requests for my day up. Do you, are you digging your well before you're thirsty? There's so many Christians who genuinely believe in God and Jesus and are genuinely sincere and good people, but then tragedy strikes, but, but they haven't dug their own well. And, and so they come and, and want the, the rest of the people in the church to pray for me, save me, tell me what to do. And, and we're not your savior. We're support. We're the support. We're the family. But Jesus is the savior. So what did Peter do in that darkest night that Judas didn't do? Jesus went off, Judas went off by himself, which ended in suicide. Those of you who feel anxiety and depression, and you know the last thing you need to do is be alone in the dark with your own mind. You need to be with other people. You need to be being encouraged. You need to be hearing the word of God. You need to be singing. You need to be with other people in the light. Being alone and being in the dark are the worst two things. Hello, I see a whole bunch of you nodding, you know. What did Peter do? He, re he returns to the others. He's there in the eleven. And it was Mary Magdalene and the other women. And, and they came and they told the apostles, but their words seemed to them like idle tales. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves. And he departed marveling to himself what had happened. Peter does two things that Judas doesn't do. Peter goes back to his friends. He goes to the church. He goes where the other ten disciples are. And he's like, these are the only other guys that know Jesus. This is my only, only chance of survival. The other thing Peter does is he runs to Jesus. I heard there's an empty tomb. I'm sprinting there. So... Luke tells us that all of the 11 disciples plus a whole bunch more were together, but John in his gospel only mentions himself and Peter. Uh, he says that Peter and John were together when the ladies got there and Peter and John took off. And uh, John being only like 17 or 18 years old and Peter's probably like 45, um, John likes to brag and John says, Peter started out running first, but I beat him to the tomb. You can read it in, in John. He says, he says, I got there first, but I didn't go in. But Peter, when he got there, he went in. 
Peter was the first one in the empty tomb after the, the ladies and the angel. Peter runs to where, where he thinks Jesus might be. Those are the two, the two things that Peter does that Judas doesn't do. He runs home to his brothers, the church, and he runs to where Jesus is. Jesus appears twice to the disciples in a room um, where they're praying, once without Thomas and once with Thomas. If you don't know those stories, I, I can't go into them. But a few days later, we come to John 21. The apostles have been out fishing for the night. Peter's like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go fishing. They fished all night and didn't catch anything. Jesus appears to them on the beach in the morning. And Jesus says to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. This is the second time Jesus has done this miracle for Peter. The first time was the very first day Jesus met James and John and Peter and Andrew. He does this miracle where the nets are so full of fish that they can't pull them in. And then he does it again. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea. They've been fishing all night. It's really hot. They fished in their underwear. It's just a boat full of men and they wore a, a, a wind up undergarment and then they had on their robe or cloak or whatever. And so when they were working really hard and no women were around, they just, they're, they're just fishing in their undergarment. Peter puts on his, his clothes and he dives into the sea and he swims for the beach. If there was anybody in the history of the world who should have been too ashamed to run toward Jesus, but he did it. Because he had that well, he knew Jesus loved him. He'd seen the look on his face, which was just excruciatingly heartbreaking, but he saw love in Jesus' swollen eyes. I know he loves me. And he ran toward Jesus, even in his situation, whatever yours is, run toward Jesus. The rest of the story goes on to say that Peter is there on the beach with Jesus. The rest of the other 10 disciples can't get the boat. The boat is so full of, the net is so full of fish they can't row the boat to shore. Peter wades out chest deep in the water, grabs the net and hauls it up himself. All by himself. A net of fish that 10 men could not haul. Peter hauls it up himself. You know what that is? Woohoo! Jesus is alive! I can do anything. I mean, this guy's pumped. He's on an adrenaline rush. I mean, he just took a shot. And, and he pulls the net of fish in all by himself just after seconds with Jesus. And then the story goes on. This is where Jesus asks him three times, do you really love me, Peter? And it breaks Peter's heart, but he says, yes. And guess what? Jesus receives it. I knew what you were going to do. I heard you do it. I remember that you did, but I believe you love me. So it's really, really simple. A lot of Bible story here, but really, really simple application. Just don't be Judas. Just be Peter. Don't be Judas. We're all going to go through some very, very dark nights of bitter weeping. I, like either I have really, really, really screwed up or it's a health problem or it's financial distress or something. Don't, don't go off by yourself. No matter how scary or embarrassing it is, stay with the church. Stay with somebody. 
who's going to encourage you in God and run to Jesus, not away from him. Even when you have the one that's created the terrible mess, you have to run to Jesus. There is no other answer. And in that, there will be some bitter tears and there will be some real heartbreak and there will be some excruciating admissions. But in the end, you'll know Jesus loves you and you'll be restored. It's 50 days later, he fills Peter with the Holy Ghost and now he isn't scared of teenage girls. He stands up in front of the same men that crucified Jesus and said, you crucified him and you're on your way to hell. And they're like, what do we do? He's like, well, repent of your sin and be baptized. And we got the birth of the church. And Jesus changed who Peter was, but he had to go through that night. Judas could have let that night change him or he could be in despair and blame or fear, or anger, or whatever he was. He didn't let it change him. Really, really simple. Don't be Judas. Be Peter. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. We receive it. We love it, Lord. Thank you for your example of your loving kindness and your long-suffering patience and your supreme gentleness in your dealing with Peter. It gives us so much hope, Lord. Thank you that even though you knew what he was going to do, you did not reject him. You still washed his feet and you still loved him and you still let him take communion with you. And you knew what was coming from all of them. But you loved them to the very end. And then afterward, you didn't put any shame on him. You just forgave him and moved forward in love and restoration. Lord, forgive us for being like Judas, that we want to hide our sin and not live in the light. We cut ourselves off from each other and from you. And then when really desperate night comes, we don't have the well to drink from. Lord, we choose this morning to live in the light, to live in fellowship with you, to live in fellowship with each other, and when we screw up big, we'll run to you and to each other. Because as we dwell in the light, as you are in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship with one another. Lord, I bless every person, every heart, every mind, every body. You know every situation. You know every dark night that anyone is living through or has lived through or that is coming. You know, Lord, I thank you that you're praying for us. Thank you so much that you don't leave us alone. Thank you that you are praying for us, that our faith would not fail. Teach us to dig our well now to press in and worship and prayer, to know your word and to know your spirit and to know your voice. So when things get dark and scary and confusing, we know the voice of our shepherd already. And another we will not follow. Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit to work these things out. Thank you. You've not left us alone. We bless your holy name, Jesus.